0: You are listening to Down Home. I was struggling to find a way to open this episode, and I decided to use our guest's own words. So here's an excerpt from his book. In addition to facing racist epithets, verbal threats, or physical assaults, most of the white-owned restaurants, cafes, women's hair salons, and men's barber shops would openly refuse to provide any goods or services to the black citizens. When a black person requested service at these establishments, the owners or staff would brazenly state that they did not serve or want black people in their businesses. I wouldn't blame you if you thought that this author was writing about his experiences in the Jim Crow era of the southern United States. But no. The passage I just read is from Jim Crow Also Lives Here, a book written by Len Paris about his time growing up in rural Nova Scotia in the 1950s and 60s. We as Black Nova Scotians have a vibrant and rich history here in Canada, a history that dates back well over 300 years. It's also a complicated history, fraught with segregation and racism. For some of our listeners, it might sound odd to say that Canada has a history of segregation. I have to admit that it feels uncomfortable talking about this. It's the Canadian way to think that some of the systemic issues that plague our neighbours to the south aren't here, but they are. In this episode, Jay and I have a conversation with Mr. Len Paris, the author of Jim Crow Also Lived Here. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian Experience from Two Black Men. I'm Derek Wise, and as always, we have Jay Jones. What's happening? And our conversation this week is with uh, author Len Paris. Uh, Mr. Paris, how are you
1: today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me this evening.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for giving us a little bit of... uh, your time to talk about your book, uh, Jim Crow Also Lives Here. Um, and talking about your book, actually, Nova Scotia has been described as the Mississippi of the North. And your book actually makes reference to that. Um, and it conveys that sentiment. Uh, it does. Can you talk about uh, growing up in New Glasgow? and why that Mississippi reference was prevalent then and maybe still is prevalent today?
1: Well, yes, yes. I was actually uh, uh, born in Truro, which is about 40 miles from New Glasgow. Right. And uh, when I was six years old, uh, my parents moved to New Glasgow. Uh, My mom was from Truro. My dad was from New Glasgow and he worked in New Glasgow, so uh, the family made the move to New Glasgow when I was six years old. That was in mm. 1954. Right, and at that time, I mean there was there was no no such thing at that time as nice racism. It was very open, very in your face, mm. and uh, it, and you faced it. You you faced it daily uh, on the way to school. You faced it at the schoolyard, and and sometimes even with your interaction with uh, with the teaching staff. Uh, it was clearly, you know, a racist element there. Uh, New Glasgow itself, just to give you a little descriptor of it, it's a, at the time, it was a town of about 8,000 people. Uh, but it has four surrounding towns uh, around it. So in all, Pickle County in which New Glasgow is situated um, has five towns. And the only town in that time in the 1950s and, and, and 60s, the only town that black folks could live in was the town of New Glasgow. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: they could they could not live in the surrounding four towns at all. Uh, they couldn't rent there. They could not buy housing there. And um, so I lived in New Glasgow. I actually lived just outside of the town limit. So uh, when it came time to go to high school, uh, I had to go to the uh, rural high school about uh, fifteen uh, miles. I shouldn't be using miles. I should be using kilometers. But fifteen miles <laughs> from from my home. But I did do my uh, elementary schooling in a little little village on the border of New Glasgow called Priestville. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we had to go to New Glasgow for everything. You know, for shopping. And, mm-hmm. uh, if you, if you wanted to go to a movie. Uh, There weren't many places you could go, really. I mean, most of the restaurants were segregated at that time. Uh, Not by law, but by practice. Right. You know, they didn't have the signs out there like you see in the, you know, in the the United States in the Mm -hmm. 50s and 60s was, I mean, the signs are right there. The signs are very prominent. But in New Glasgow, I mean, there was places if you tried to go into certain restaurants or a barber shop, salon, coffee shops, uh, so somebody would meet you at the door, right. and they would tell you—they would tell you very, very brazenly that uh, at that time they used the term "colored people" or, or "negro" or negroes at that time. Uh, we, we don't serve Negroes. We don't serve colored people. And, and sometimes uh, they may even use the N-word in turning right. away, uh, you know. So there were qu- it was quite brazen. Uh, it was quite open. Um, yes. So that,
0: um, it's almost like an, an unspoken segregation,
1: right? Uh, yes. So
0: yeah. it was very, very much uh, practiced, but not legislated uh, in Nova Scotia. Um It's interesting because like me and Jay, we grew up in Halifax. I didn't hear a lot of those, uh, stories from my grandparents, like it, um, but in saying that, like my, like my family, we grew up around the Creighton street area, which at that time in the, in the fifties and sixties was predominantly black. So everything was Mm self-sustained. Do you think that unspoken segregation was, uh, was was really predominant in like the rural areas of Nova Scotia?
1: Well, yes, uh, as a matter of fact, a, a lot of the historic black communities in Nova Scotia, and I think there's like 52 historically black communities, a lot of them were in rural areas. Yeah, You know, whether we're talking, you know, Windsor or Hammond's Plains, or Lucasville, and place, places that you're all familiar with, uh, those were in rural areas, they weren't in cities. Right. And, you know, and uh, and the same with like New Glasgow and my little village of Priestville. Uh, so uh, it was segregated housing. It was segregated schooling in Nova Scotia up till 1954. I think the last the last segregated school in Nova Scotia didn't close until 1954 and 1956, somewhere in that era. Mm -hmm. You know, the churches were segregated. As a matter of fact, a lot of the churches today are still segregated. Yeah, Indeed. You know, the church I went to was the second Baptist, second United Baptist Church in New Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And the reason it was called the second United Baptist Church is because the uh, white congregation went to the first United Baptist Church. Right. (laughs) So we had to build our own church and we called it the second United Baptist Church. Right. Mm. So, like I say, churches were segregated. Uh, uh, my school was not segregated uh, in the area I live, but there were segregated schools in Nova Scotia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, yeah, and, and we all know the story of Viola Desmond. We're not going to yes. go into that because everybody knows that story. And uh, that happened in my hometown in New Glasgow, the yeah. Land Theater. Yeah. Yeah. And even when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, we were still relegated to the balcony area uh, and could not sit on the main floor. Mm -hmm. It did change change in the mid sixties or in the mid sixties, but during the fifties, you had to set up in the balcony area. Yeah,
3: Yeah. it was still, it was still because Viola, that happened 10 years before Rosa Parks. So, yes, you know, she was at the start of it. And Rosa was near the end when, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was, you know, doing a lot of still is right stuff in in the states. Then, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
0: Now, um, uh, it's it's interesting because we don't talk. It's it's an uncomfortable conversation to talk about this unspoken segregation in Canada because we always, when you talk to people, they always talk about segregation and it's linked to the Southern states. So I think yes. these these conversations are very important. They're uncomfortable because as Canadians, we always think we weren't like that this didn't Mm -hmm. happen here but yes it did happen here obviously from what you're what what you're telling us and what we've heard and what we've uh experienced anyway but that's uh it's amazing now what do you think were the detrimental effects of this unspoken segregation that persisted back then and probably persists to a certain degree now as well
1: well i I think there's a, a lot of effects one of them is uh trauma and stress Mm-hmm. you know continuing trauma mm-hmm. i mean when you're faced with racism every day it traumatizes a person yeah i wrote my book uh it's kind of a healing journey to help with some of that trauma of what happened to me mm-hmm. when i was in my formative years you know my teenage years mm-hmm. so it, it definitely carries trauma uh, uh with it it carries day-to-day stress you know you never know when you're with a group, and and you know somebody brings up the n-word, or or all of a sudden you know go back to where you came from type of comments, and you know or great don't forget what say go back to Africa, right? Mm-hmm. These things of that nature. So that causes that causes stress. You carry that over to uh, employment and housing, you know, and health care and interaction with the police and all that is a very, very heavy burden to carry
3: mm-hmm.
1: or to expect anybody to carry.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It's uh it's a seed that was planted and it's still growing and still continues to grow. You know, it's in, it's, it's, it's in our world. Um, now you mentioned it was a healing journey for you to, to write this book and obviously you've had some uh, trauma seeing those things and being in those situations was that the main reason why you wrote the book
1: uh well first off uh to be truthful with you i did not intend to write a book right it started out as kind of notes to myself right Mm -hmm. or if you will a letter to myself right yeah And, and, and that typically happened at three or four in the morning when you couldn't sleep and you're thinking back about growing up and and the poverty substandard housing at that time mm-hmm. and, and and the racism and the segregation and you're thinking about that and you start writing you're trying to get it out of your head and a good way to get anything out of your head is put it down on paper. Indeed. So that's that's how I started out. And then after I had about two notebooks full of notes, I decided well what am I gonna do with these two notebooks full of notes? <laughs> and that's when I decided decided to uh, Write a memoir, write, write my book, and uh, and I uh, I titled it "Jim Crow Also Lived Here" because I viewed the uh, the racism and the segregation at that time in the fifties and sixties because that's the period I, I wrote about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I viewed that as very much like your earlier comment, Mississippi mm-hmm. or Alabama or Georgia. Uh, And the more and more I researched those areas, and the Jim Crow laws, which were the segregation laws that came out after the American Civil War and after Reconstruction, I guess partly uh, during Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And it just dawned on me that, you know, I mean, I was looking for a title for my book anyhow, right? I couldn't Mm -hmm. think of the proper title, right? Like, picking blueberries or cold winners just didn't seem to cut it, right? <laughs> Something that we all identify with in Nova yeah, Scotia, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so the more and more I researched, like, again, the segregation in the United States, those laws were codified in most cases. In mm-hmm. Nova Scotia, they, they were not codified or put in the law, mm-hmm. at least in the 50s and 60s. In the 1700s 16 1700s they were definitely codified right yeah yeah uh and that's what i decided i'm going to call the book jim crow also lived here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and that's a term that rocky jones would often refer to nova scotia as also and uh so yeah it's interesting that jay's name is jones because uh, Rocky Jones is a civil rights hero in Nova Scotia. Also, yeah.
3: You know. Rocky Jones is actually one of my relatives.
1: Yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking that maybe, yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. There's lots yeah. of, lots of Joneses in Nova Scotia, but, uh, he <laughs> yeah. was, uh, my great grandfather, Sidney Jones, um, was the half brother of Jeremiah Jones, who was oh, yes. uh, Rocky Jones's great grandfather or grandfather, yes, Jeremiah um, Jones, you know, um, I didn't see him a whole lot growing up. When I was coming up, I was sort of the last grandchild that my grandparent, great grandparents raised. But uh, earlier, you know, in in I guess the seventies and everything like that, uh, my grandfather and Rocky were we're were pretty close. I just didn't see him when I was growing up a whole Mm -hmm. lot.
1: So he's actually credited with, you know, uh, in the mid nineteen sixties, early nineteen sixties, he's credited with, you know, starting the uh, black civil rights movement in Nova Scotia. Yeah, very you true. Know, and you know the Black United Front and mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. Yes. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so so. Okay. So, what was the community like for you in New Glasgow? Um, the Black community that you can remember being that young age. Yes,
1: I talked about that a lot in, uh, uh a lot in my book that mm-hmm. the Black community was our saving grace. the black community and the black church Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that that has persisted right till today yes i mean Mm -hmm. the black churches in in nova scotia uh and and other places in canada but particularly nova scotia because that was you know we were the first black settlers refugees and enslaved people in canada were were nova scotia yes was in nova scotia Mm -hmm. yeah so uh yeah, yeah, yeah. The,
0: me and jay actually our families um went to the same church so it was uh at the time it was called Cornwallis Street Baptist Church
1: oh yes yeah
0: what's it called mm-hmm. now jay new horizons new horizons i believe new horizons yeah. so they i guess yeah. they took the name off because Cornwallis wasn't a really great dude <laughs>
2: but <laughs> no. Yeah, but um,
0: yeah, our families—that uh, was the center of the community. Was the the church in Nova Scotia? Definitely, we um, we are well aware of that. It um, it was uh, the meeting place on Sundays. You know that was uh, where families got together and and communed. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah, it was our. You're right, Saving Grace. I, I have to agree. It was. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, and we drew a lot of strength from the from the church and from the community. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, I mean, a well-known African proverb: "Right it takes a village to raise a child." Right?
2: Yeah. Well,
1: growing up, it was like everybody was your auntie or your uncle or <laughs> or Mister or Missus or whatever. Yeah. And if you misbehaved, <laughs> your mom or dad was going to hear about it even before you got home. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it always surprised me because my mom never never had a telephone. Mm-hmm. My dad never owned a car and I could be out, you know, doing something, not necessarily misbehaving, but just out, out in the boat. Yeah. And by the time I got home, she knew where I was, who I was with, what I was doing. <laughs> like It always amazed me, like yeah. the grapevine in the black community, right? Oh,
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> now with, yeah. With, the, with the community in New Glasgow being as strong as it was and you gaining... And you and your family gaining a lot of faith and strength from it. What made in that? What made the decision uh, for your family to leave Nova Scotia? Having that, and what was it like when you got to Ontario? Were there still similar things? Like there was like segregation, or what did you experience then?
1: Yeah, well, uh, some of the family stayed. Uh, actually, you know, my my mom and dad stayed in, in mm-hmm. Nova Scotia. Some, of my older sister moved to Toronto. Uh, my brother joined the Canadian army and he was in Ontario and several other places and United Nations peacekeeping. And he basically went, went right around the world and that, uh, and he served in Africa also Somalia and other places in Africa. Uh, and then I have a, I have another brother who lives in the United States. And so, but that wasn't uncommon in, in black families that, you know, the, they would move to Montreal or Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm speaking to the converted here now. <laughs> but they would move to Montreal and Toronto, places like that. Uh, one, the, the big thing was uh, because of the overt racism in Nova Scotia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not to say there's not racism in Quebec and Ontario, because and, mm-hmm. there's lots and lots of documented cases in Montreal and in Toronto of uh, anti-Black racism. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't this in your face, if you will. Um, and, and and you know, and it's, it's a bigger area, more chance to, uh, I shouldn't say blend in because you really don't want to
3: blend in, but more chance to seek out opportunities. Yeah. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
3: And was it was 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 Ontario uh, very multi multicultural back then as well, like it is. Probably not like now, but... No,
1: you know? no. It, was, it wasn't it was until 1955, mm-hmm. that's not that long ago... No, true. ...that Canada actually opened up immigration to people from the Caribbean mm-hmm. and to Africa and uh, other countries where there were black people. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so in terms of Toronto, I mean, Toronto was fairly... Uh, non-black will say yeah uh, in the 50s and and parts of the 60s mm-hmm. and it's only in the uh, you know in the, starting in the 60s 70s 80s that you had a large influx from the Caribbean yeah. right yeah. Uh, yeah prior to that if if somebody from the Caribbean wanted to come to Toronto or Ontario women could come as domestic workers mm-hmm. prior to 19 or no after 1955 but prior to they couldn't come at all. Wow. And men could come if they wanted to work on the railway, or because they were British citizens in most of the Caribbean, well, pretty well, all the Caribbean islands were British citizens, um, they could join the military and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, we had a big influx for, you know, uh, labor, uh, railway porters, which is yeah in vogue right now with the new st- the TV series. The yeah, TV the CBC
3: series. television yes. show. Yeah, that's right. Porter. Yeah. The Porters, isn't it? The yeah, Porter, yeah, the Porters, yeah. yes. But
1: that's the sort of restrictions they put on people uh that were black back yeah. then.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Toronto, or I should say Canada, prior to the period that you're talking about, like around yes. 1950... Canada had a very stringent uh, immigration policy. They didn't, la- they didn't let a lot of people. I think basically the UK was open door, of course, because of its yes. history. Okay. But if you came from other portions of the, of the world that were poorer, there were no official refugee policies. They closed the doors. I, I think the most notable one of them closing doors was uh, to the... To the Jewish uh, immigrants that wanted to leave Germany, Canada yes. said no. Yeah, that's right. Canada said no. So they they had a real closed door policy of uh, immigration before the 1950s, which mm-hmm. is actually quite surprising. But hey, that's 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 our history, right?
3: Yeah, sure. that's The, our history, the yes. Irish, the Irish had a lot of trouble here too. Like mm-hmm. you know, coming over here too in that that same time frame. So mm. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, this is a. Awesome conversation, Mr. Paris. This uh, uh, we we love having um, Scotian expats on to talk about their experiences, and um, you know you've echoed that rich experience that uh, being from Nova Scotia is uh, rich and, and complicated too. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's both. It is yeah. both. But thank you very much for for your uh, for your time. This has been great. Yeah,
3: well,
1: thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always good to hear uh, someone's story. And, uh, even, even though, tr- somewhat tragic sometimes uh being black in nova scotia that you could find some great inspiration and 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 take yourself on a healing journey as well because that's right. the other that's the other part of it is we we will experience this uh and we continue to experience it but where where are you going to put your energies to to sort of heal and be able to blend and be able to sort of continue to tell those stories of uh resilience and strength and it's right. and it's from people like you that we sort of inherit that inspiration from. Definitely, so thanks definitely. for, uh, thanks for well, sharing your time. Well, thank you for having me. And uh,
1: and uh, I think it's safe to say that the, the Black community in Nova Scotia, and you know, you can extend that to the Caribbean community here in Ontario or the Haitian community in, in Quebec, uh, they still look to each other and, uh, for strength and, mm-hmm. and uh, and
3: for support, because mm-hmm. quite often you don't get it elsewhere. Yeah, true. It's true, it's true, true. Yeah, yeah. We have to continue strength. Oh, one last question: Any plans on future uh, books or anything like that? Uh, no, I'm still very
1: actively uh, promoting this book. Uh, mm-hmm. This past month has been extremely mm-hmm. busy. Did quite yes. a few uh, online presentations. That's great. Uh, book sales are still very, very good. That's excellent, and uh, so. Maybe next winter. I mean, we've all been kind of burdened down with COVID and, mm-hmm. you know, lockdowns and restrictions and everything else. And yeah. I think once we free up our mind from some of the other things, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something I may consider. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. Breaking
3: new Breaking new Breaking You have
0: been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: New ground, on a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot McEx. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects. Getting deep, no time to sleep as you reach your next phase.
0: The song, Breaking new, new Ground. It's a fire inside the breakdown.
3: A new path, breaking down the sum to one. Feeling free, I just laugh with the joy of a beat, boy. Just kicking it live. A connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed.